film nerds. Wanna be friends? I'm Dax. I'm Adam. And welcome to Cinepraisal. I do feel welcome. I'm glad you do. Thank you. This podcast is designed as a series of commentaries. Meant for you to play alongside the movies we're talking about. So invite us into your home. It's like we're in your living room with you. Right now. <laughs> the first season we recorded a little while ago, but we're happy to finally get it out there and have you hear it for the first time. So get comfy. Crack a beverage. And, and let's, let's watch, watch some movies. movies. So. Let's do this thing. Hit play. He's hitting play. Are we recording? We are recording. Play, Criterion Collection just came up. It says Criterion Collection. The arrow thing went across the screen. And, um, and yeah. Janice, Janice Films! films. Uh, what does that mean? It means we're watching Criterion. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Adam. I'm Dax. And we are doing this thing that we do where we talk to movies and you listen to us. <laughs> Quite. Rashomon! Rashomon! Um, yeah. You've so seen this, yes? I have. So I have, have I. seen it. I what, wonder if I remember this right. <laughs> Let's get that joke out of the way <laughs> right now. Let's just get it done. Based on In a Grove. Uh, so, yeah, this is one of my favorite Japanese films, uh, specifically Kurosawa. I think it's my favorite Kurosawa film. I, I don't know. Seven Samurai is kind of hard to top, but... I mean, I'd say this might be one of his most accessible. Like, if you haven't seen any Kurosawa... Sure. This is a good place Seven to start. Seven Samurai is a little more intense because of how epic it is and very long. Uh, Hidden Fortress is also wonderful. Um, we watched... I watched with uh, Steven, I watched uh, The Idiot one time. I haven't seen that. It's his version. It's his film of a Dostoevsky <laughs> like Which okay, so that's one of the things I find really interesting about Kurosawa is that he got started making movies because he loved watching American westerns. Yes, and so like Seven Samurai is his version of an American western, just told using his culture's you know components. Right, and then we went ahead and made the Magnificent. We Seven. made Magnificent Seven. <laughs> so so and like, then we remade Magnificent yeah, Seven like several times. <laughs> <laughs> there was one recently in past couple of years. But it's just funny because like you know he kept doing his own take on Western stories right. using his culture's components, except this one. This one is it's very Japanese. Yeah, it's very Japanese. You should see uh, High and Low. Uh, Tengoku to Chigoku. It's the the one that's it's kind of more about a modern Japanese setting. Okay. And it also stars Mifune as a salaryman kind of character. He's so diverse in every single film he's in. He he can. This is one of the most diverse, obviously, because the same character he plays every time is different in each flashback in each in each iteration of the story. What? So. Are you laughing? I just... Back to the accessible movie. <laughs> so one of the things I learned about this that I thought was fascinating is that they uh, actually dyed the water black with calligrapher's ink oh, yeah. to make it look heavier. 
And not only that, they also emptied a small town's entire reservoir to make the rain. <laughs> <laughs> I love the the complete reckless abandon that Kurosawa had for some of this stuff. Like, <laughs> when they said, you know, stop making Seven Samurai. It's costing too much money. He just went, no. Yeah. <laughs> and just kept making it. <laughs> well, I mean, that's like, you know, when we eventually get to doing our Blade Runner commentary... Ridley Scott got fired off of that and then kept showing up to work. <laughs> That's how you keep your job. Like, they're like, we're done paying you. He's like, I'm not done making a movie. <laughs> he already paid me too much. I can afford to keep doing this. <laughs> I mean, there's always kind of that, that push and pull with reality, with the reality of a situation being difficult. And yet you still want to make this artistic thing despite all odds and despite what a studio is telling you and despite despite logical arguments. Um, well, I was uh, actually read a, it was a roundtable interview with like Ridley Scott and Ridley uh, Scott. <laughs> Ridley Scott. <laughs> but um, I didn't mean make fun of you. I just I it made me think of like. Another director that was like a knockoff. Lee Sakat. <laughs> really yeah. Sakat, you know. <laughs> no, but it was uh, Ridley Scott and uh, actually it was like most of the directors who was been nominated for, Os uh, for Oscars the year before last. And, um, oh God, it's going to annoy me. Oh, uh, Inyarito was there. Hmm. And so like they were asking, like there, it was a guy asking all these directors about like, you know, you make all these gigantic, you know, movies, like all these directors, these gigantic movies. Do you ever have trouble justifying the budget for them? And Inyaritu's response was so great. And like, I took a picture and sent it to a friend of mine who was producing my film at the time. <laughs> because he was like, he's like, when it comes to matters like that, like my father used to say, it's impolite to talk about money at the dinner table. <laughs> I'm like, yes. Spoken like That's a true creative. Great. What, was that the one that also had Tarantino at it, or...? I think so. He was there for Hateful. For Hateful Eight. <laughs> if it's the one I'm thinking of, it, I, I just kept laughing, because the whole time Tarantino was sitting right next to Ridley Scott, and so he kept... He's like, your movies are just so... I guess they're amazing! Like, he just kept... <laughs> It, to me, if I was Ridley Scott, I, I feel like I would have been so kind of annoyed <laughs> at a certain point because he was so kind of... See, I almost never watch the videos for those because I, I end up reading them in The Hollywood Reporter. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then like I forget, like, oh yeah, I can just watch this. Could, oh, okay, yeah, so you read it and I, I must have seen it. Like, there's a cut of it on YouTube that you can find. Um, but I, I just thought it was so funny putting those two people right next to each other. They seem kind of psychologically like different human beings yes, yes. in many ways <laughs> which like i love them both as artists like deeply love both those men as artists they could not be more different <laughs> so anyway back to kurosawa right, yeah so kurosawa <laughs> what are we watching i don't know i don't remember <laughs> Doesn't it have like uh Again, I certainly hope that whoever's watching or something. I certainly hope that anybody who's listening to our commentary has already seen right. the movie. Right. Otherwise yeah. these jokes about remembering aren't gonna make any sense. They're like, is this a commentary for memento? What, <laughs> what's going on here? If we do a commentary for memento, can we do it backwards? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
Only if we do the one for irreversible forwards. <laughs> so, a uh, thing that... In the, the commentary for this, we have the Criterion one, and I've watched the Donald Ritchie commentary uh, on this film, and it's wonderful if you ever want some actually insightful information about the film. Which, by the way, we are not sponsored by Criterion, but we, are we, not. we would like to be. We would love to be sponsored <laughs> by Criterion. We'd like to receive Criterion... Um, everything? Everything. Did, can I, I Criterion would, make a box, like a loot crate box, but like oh a my God, cri amazing. Criteria box, where they just send... Just every, <laughs> every month you get like four movies. Perfect. A criterion, you need to start this. Oh, he pointed this, the camera at the sun. He was one of the first, I think, to do that in, in, like, in his time. I think it wasn't a typical thing to do. So, I don't know. I'm just I'm just pointing it out. Uh, well, thanks for that. <laughs> there's also the forest. the The reason that the forest works so well for the setting is just because you never really have a firm grasp of where you are. Like, there's no firm sense of location or place. Whereas, if you were somewhere like a, you know, like a city, you you would have more clear markers. But yeah, that's fair. Like, there isn't really a sense of geography or. It, like you're you're centered on the event you're not centered on where you are right and it plays to the fact that this that these memories are all malleable and and uh god i love the way that the the leaves shadows cascade on him as he's walking through um but yeah i don't remember this <laughs> oh wait i do remember this <laughs> oh, what I was gonna say. Though, fairness, I haven't seen this movie in about ten years, so like, there's a good chance I won't remember. A lot remember. <laughs> I've seen this movie a, a bunch of times, and I watched it in theater once. There was a special screening of it, and uh, I think it was at New Art, one of those places. But uh, one of the things that I remember in the commentary from Donald Ritchie, who's a Japanese film historian. He brings up the fact that triangular compositions are recurrent throughout the whole film. So whenever you see characters together, like pay attention to the way that triangles are formed by placements. And the, the reason being, obviously, because it's about three primary characters who are all involved in this incident. Right. So just something to, to notice. Um, this film is beautifully composed. I could be wrong, but I think there's a similar effect in uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly whenever, like, the three of them are on screen. Uh, it's been so long since I've seen them. Same, same. But, like, it's just pretty sure that's a thing. Hmm. Don't quote me. <laughs> quote, quote Adam <laughs> every chance you get. I mean, I'd say 90% of the time that's okay. <laughs> That's the problem. We live in a time now where people just kind of speak yeah. mostly true things in their mind. But true enough. <laughs> and then people will quote that. It's like, there was no fact-checking done to make sure that that was 100%. There's, we might... Maybe we should start doing that before we do <laughs> Before we record these. Um, tell you what, if we ever discover that something is, is inherently untrue, editor version of me... <laughs> we'll we'll just cut in and say something about it. I like it. I like it. <laughs> I trust future you. You hear that? You hear that, future Dax? Cover our ass. He's following... Like, how... 
how long is this whole sequence of him just walking into the forest and discovering the event? Well, this, honestly, like shit like this always reminds me when I was a kid, I used to walk home from school and I lived like in a pretty rural area. So there's like, sure, there's the street I'm supposed to be walking on, but I would totally cut through the woods all the time. Hmm. And like, I'd always have like my own, like, you know, nerdy recluse kid Narnia like adventures while wandering through the woods. Mm. I'm just vaguely reminded of that by this scene. I just like wandering through the woods just finding random shit. Never a corpse, but <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is the other interesting thing I'll also learn from the commentary is the fact that every time we're in a courtroom shot, we're placed as the jury or the judge right, being yeah. spoken to. And we you never hear them talk to them. They always kind of go, oh, what'd you say? Right. Oh, well, this. Because you're meant to be... Yeah, we're the judge. We're the judge. We're, we're the ones receiving all the accounts, and so we're the ones who ultimately have to make the decision. It's just beautifully done. Um, rarely do you have characters just kind of... I mean, it seems like in general people avoid having people talk straight to a camera. Um, and he's, he's kind of looking a little past the camera. But, yeah, but a little bit above it. They are kind of looking towards us, but it's used to a good effect here. Um, I always wanted a... <laughs> I always wanted a Phoenix Wright game adaptation of Rashomon. Jesus. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care that... That doesn't make sense. That is that is tacky as shit. <laughs> and woefully esoteric. <laughs> let's let's make it happen. Don't we don't need another Phoenix Wright scene. The the team that made Phoenix Wright, I I think I it was that hat. I think it was some of the same people that made a Harvey Birdman attorney at law game at one point because it was Capcom you, you can't say the name of that show unless you say the entire name of that show Harvey Birdman Attorney at Law <laughs> this is a great little uh, variation on their their, but it was basically Phoenix Wright with Harvey Birdman it was, it was glorious human life is truly as frail and fleeting as the morning dew Oh yeah, the, I always Old forget. Old-fashioned optical printer transitions. <laughs> I mean, it, it's so depressing in a way that wipes... I guess it's more of a feathered wipe at this point, but like wipes make you think of Star Wars. Which is sad because George they, Lucas... They don't for me. Okay, good. But, but for those who don't know, they came from Kurosawa. The reason that Lucas used wipes was because they were a thing that Kurosawa did in a lot of his films, and specifically... Right, but Kurosawa was doing it because we were doing it in our earlier films. Right. Well, I mean, it's like the same you... kind of back and forth you were saying with Western. Exa exactly. But, uh, but yeah, so Hidden Fortress is the film that pretty much inspired Star Wars. And Have yeah. you ever seen Hidden Fortress? I haven't. But, like, Star Wars is essentially Hidden Fortress crossed with an extremely literal interpretation of the hero's journey. Yes. I mean, it's, I don't know, there's weird similarities, like, it starts out with two bumbling characters, 
who kind of aren't part of the plot that sort of make their way into the plot. Mm. And you can tell right away that's what R2 and C-3PO were based on, were right. the two uh, random people you first meet. In They're also a... vaguely a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. <laughs> oh, we should watch Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Okay. At some point. <laughs> He's so into it. <laughs> and we see Mifune being Mifune. This this is his most insane. <laughs> <laughs> On the scale of Mifune. Look at that, the way he got that. It's gorgeous. Like the, the rays of the sun and got, everything. Got the clouds dead center like that, that parting, and then just put the horizon barely at the bottom. Um, no, but Mifune's crazy in this one. <laughs> he's, he's mad. Um, I think... And he plays the he plays kind of the uh, the weird one in Seven Samurai as well. I if you think of good director actor combos, definitely Kurosawa and Mifune come up. Yeah, um, I I would say Tim Burton and Johnny Depp definitely counted for that. Um, although it got tiring at a point. I feel like <laughs> I feel like Kurosawa and Mifune never got tiring because he was always so versatile and everything and i mean you get i was gonna say tarantino and uma thurman but like she hasn't been in everything he's done mm. samuel jackson yeah and... definitely yeah there you go tarantino sam jackson what other i, I love sam jackson because i keep finding him in movies that i forgot he was in <laughs> like jurassic park Every time I watch Jurassic Park, I'm like, yeah, Sam Jackson's here. <laughs> when I went with uh, Steven to watch, I think briefly they put Jurassic Park in theaters in 3D. Yes, they did. And me and Zach went. <laughs> and we all we all went to Universal uh, City Walk and, and watched it there. And, you know, it was a crowd that was obviously gung-ho to be there to see the film. And right before it started after the all the musical like intros had happened and everything someone just went hold on to your butts <laughs> <laughs> and we we're like yeah we're we're <laughs> we're with the right crowd well it was funny cuz like me me and Zach and another buddy of mine we all went to go see it and we kept falling asleep in and out because we had gone to like a midnight screening mm -hmm. but like we had all seen the movie so many times that it didn't matter if we fell asleep because we, we were essentially dreaming what we were missing. <laughs> but, like, we all woke up at the, at the exact moment to see the part where they're climbing through the ceiling and the raptor jumps towards the camera. Mm. And at that point, it's just like, all right, yeah, no, we can go home now. That's what I came here for. <laughs> it plays well on a big screen. It's still... On a big screen in 3D, raptor to oh, face. You know what, though? The greatest thing about that version was the sound design. Oh, it was yeah. so good in a theater. I've never felt because that the ending part when the T Rex just roars as the banner falls mm. down. Uh, Dinosaurs will be incredible, incredible moments. I don't think I ever quite felt it until I I saw it in a theater and and yeah, it's uh, definitely that's it's a that's, its place. that's a rumble in your chest moment when you're watching that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel the sound? I love these close-ups on him. 
if you're ever going to use black and white, pay attention to shadow. I mean, that's like most of using black and white is the shadow. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's I've seen so many bland black and white, like the chiaroscuro that goes on of just look how harsh that shadow is. And then just little bits of light highlighting exactly what you need to see on him and her walking away. It's like No, it's beautiful. You can you can see his thought process like, hmm. Well, do I go after this? There's there's some some movies I would you know definitely include this and you know going back to Ridley Scott, I mean like there's there's so many movies that like I see I'm like I just want that frame on my wall right like I want that image well not this one but the previous one on my wall. <laughs> you want Fune's sweaty face. <laughs> <laughs> It's like um, even with Legend, Legend, which you know, not really Scott's proudest movie, but still, like it's gorgeous to watch. Right. And there's one shot of uh, I think it was Mia Sara where she's like reaching out to touch a unicorn, and it's <laughs> this beautiful like widescreen shot, and like everything is like perfectly. It looks like a Renaissance painting. I'm like, mm. I want that on my wall. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, Kurosawa was a painter as well so oh, yeah he, he drew and he understood it's where they got all the calligraphy zinc that was called a callback <laughs> <laughs> you're just too quick for me I I, I I I need improv training that's what she said I'm gonna <laughs> <laughs> good good improv skills <laughs> uh, I should just go down to UCB and uh or i keep or saying I i'm gonna know. take a ucb class but i live down this i live five minutes from ucb i mean it's like, so easy i feel like i've there. lived in los angeles long enough that i probably should have just already done it by default <laughs> i feel like everyone eventually takes it it takes a, an improv class once they move here well because it it can only make you more clever at at this at, at being quick-witted it, it can only improve your skills as an artist of any kind, so it makes sense. I like the way the light just glints off of his sword. Oh yeah. So yeah, it also um, improves your ability to, to piss off your friends by constantly inviting them to see your improv show. <laughs> uh, you know, if you're good, um, they needn't be pissed off. Oh no, no, so. I'm with you because I, <laughs> I, I, I'm always down to watch a good improv show. Is here the. The thief, the bandit, is luring them. We're doing a terrible job. We're getting the whole... <laughs> don't listen to Cinepraisal for facts or for, I don't know, evaluation of if the film is good or not. Listen to it for two film nerds just talking about stuff. Um, Most of the time, film. Two film geeks. I think that's... That's probably exists. Two film geeks? Two film geeks. Yeah, I, probably. That's probably something. Look at that. Look at that light coming down. Yeah, I want that on her. my wall. I want that on my wall. Vertical composition, yo. We lost it when we went to 16.9. We're the good old 4.3. We, we were talking about Grand Budapest at some point, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the genius part about Grand Budapest I mean, one of the things that I love about it is the use of aspect ratios to tell the different eras. Yeah. And for three, he uses it specifically to do vertical things of going up and down, like going up elevators, going up ladders, 
So it pays attention more to vertical. And I feel like we have lost sense of vertical movement in cinema because everything is just wide all the time. That's um, interesting. So I kind of like that when you look at older, uh, more square film ratios that you tend to see less of a, a of it feeling like it's necessary to to go only left and right like we we can have those kinds of movements cutting through this fourth fuck this branch screw that leaf <laughs> men don't trust each other something would happen what's this movie about i don't remember <laughs> uh so i guess to talk about what rashomon is is obviously it's it's a film that tells the same story multiple times from different perspectives and it calls into question memory and the unique thing about it is that because we see it Seeing is believing. It calls into question the idea of reality and you being able to believe what you see. Right, because we see it from every perspective. So you have to be the one who decides which one happened. So nothing is real. We can't trust anything. We're still in the Matrix. Which is Kurosawa's metaphor for life. <laughs> so uh... Minus the part about the Matrix. <laughs> Ah, that, look at that. The light, the background's in light, but he's in shadow. And I, they don't retell this part, right? Like, we kind of start at this point in all the other versions. This <laughs> is laughing banshee. <laughs> Wonder how they got those shots. He was running very fast. Would you have a... I mean, was it, would a dolly work? I would, I'm trying to think, would it be a dolly? Or do you think it was maybe they had him running in a wide circle and they were just panning the camera? Oh, yeah, that could work too. <laughs> he just keeps doing it. Pretty much. While we're like, hey, this looks... This looks the same. <laughs> I've seen that leaf. You see, Kurosawa was inspired by the Flintstones. <laughs> Hanna-Barbera was a huge influence on the early works of Kurosawa. This is not accurate. <laughs> Future Dax, where are I you? Love... <laughs> I love... I just love looking at this movie. You don't need to always tell movies with words. I just love that hat. <laughs> oh. I've never seen a girl with a, such lovely lack of eyebrows. I always found it curious that that was considered a kind of beauty statement. You shave your eyebrows and then... Didn't even notice until you drew attention to it. <laughs> God, my Japanese is so rusty right now. Mine too. It's, I, I'm, I'm trying to pick up the phrases he's probably speaking in maybe not in this one but in some of them he probably speaks in bushigo 
which is like samurai speech. So they'll use specific words and conjugations that only samurai would use. I have nothing <laughs> to bring to this conversation. <laughs> but it's interesting if you do listen um, to kind of the sentence structure, you can tell who's being rude and who's being polite and, you know. He's he's I should have been paying attention to it, but I wasn't because we've been talking. <laughs> I love whenever it does stand back a moment and it kind of foregrounds some abstract element of the forest. Triangular. You can use you can use shot Triangular. reverse Triangular. Triangular. We're establishing triangles. Triangles. It's it's almost gone on. That was that was like maybe one too many there. I felt like it should have made its point. Like just we a, get it. They're standing in a triangle. A tad sooner. Um. She's really pretty. She is, uh, Machiko Kyo. And the man is Masayuki Mori. You should look up what else they've been in. They're probably in other Kurosawa films. Uh, you know what Annie named her car, right? Hmm? You know what Annie named her car? Kurosawa? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's Acura Kurosawa. <laughs> <laughs> uh you could also make the joke that i made in japanese kurumasawa <laughs> which if i'm if i'm not completely misremembering i think kuruma is car so that portmanteau still works even um <laughs> akira kurosawa is is brilliant annie will be on at some point oh, of course we'll bring her on for uh streets of fire I, I, <laughs> can I, I, I really feel like in general we just need to start bringing people on for movies that they know nothing about <laughs> <laughs> oh it's so funny that a attempted rape is happening <laughs> I mean he's laughing <laughs> he's la it's just, we're like jollily laughing about stuff well, and... it's, it's clear it's because we're not paying attention yeah. to the movie well no but I mean that's kind of it's <laughs> unfortunately we've seen this so many times that now we're like actually not engaging with the film so much. Um, her acting. Uh, I mean, we remember most of it. Yes. Well, and not it's going very, to stop making that joke. It's a very visual movie. Like we can be talking the whole time, and we also completely understand everything that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Um. I mean, I feel like you don't have to actually be even, like, reading the subtitles at times. I haven't been. Pretty obvious. Which I, I have a policy about, like, I will not watch a movie that's been dubbed. I'll only watch... So like, we can't watch Kung Pao, Enter the Fist. <sighs> <laughs> I already said we're not. <laughs> but anyway, no, I have, I have a thing where I don't want to watch a movie that's been dubbed. I want to watch it in its original language. And so, like, I'm, I have no problem with subtitles. Shit, I made a movie with subtitles. Mm. But 
that we're watching. Like, we don't have to with this movie. Like, it's so perfectly visually done that, like, like you said, you know what's happening just by looking at it. So obviously his his version is painting himself out to be this this grand male uh, character that, like, oh, the, the woman fell in love with me after I humiliated her husband. And so. after she tried to stab me repeatedly. Oh, and then she begged him to stay. So we see, we have three versions left, including this one. Or do we have four? I believe there's four. Well, does the initial account count? It's the woodcutter, right? Yeah, the woodcutter, and then him, and then hers, and then the medium. Hmm. Man, like, monogamy was so important in these days. <laughs> Stabbing important. She's just like, I get my shame cannot be known to two men. You, you must, one of you must die. So glad we live in a sexually liberated <laughs> age. God, his face. So much good face acting. I know it, it, you could argue it's a little hammy because it is kind of heightened. But that's also sort of the point. Some of these are more heightened. And I think we're about to see the more choreographed version of the fight. Well, I think movies in general at this age, you know, I mean, because what, what year is this? Is it 50? Okay. I believe. Yeah, it's, I think it's 1950. So, yeah, like, I think it wasn't until, like, much later, like, maybe, like, a, another 10, 15 years later that you really start getting... A lot of like the finer subtleties. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you know, international film has always been, I'd say, probably like ten, fifteen years behind American film, as far as you know, tactics and whatnot. Though of course, Kurosawa is a friggin' revolutionary. But I mean, like even our stuff from ten years before this is super hammy. Yeah, no, for sure. But I mean the. I feel like the point of why it's hammy as well is that it actually does sort of subvert it. Because I think the one of the last stories, their sword fight is comically, uh, is like comically bad to the, the, the point that they're hyperventilating almost in fear. So we're kind of getting this, this very showman-y movie version of the fight. And then later you get sort of the real version of, of what two grown men who've never actually tried to fight each other with swords, uh, are, are terrified. He's so good. He's just... <laughs> like... I, I can't think of someone else who... who's ever, like, felt like him in a film. So compelling. It's also if if you ever think oh, this is like the way it pushed through the bushes. And the light perfectly on his face.
I mean, if you ever think you don't have the tools at hand to make a film, this film just went, look, we're going to shoot this in the woods. (laughs) You don't have to worry about location. And I think you can do so much. You can do so much with so little when it comes to filmmaking. Like literally just pick up your camera and come up with an idea. I would love to just make... I, I've, I've wanted to do that, to make a short film in a park or something. And just find a, a Let me know. nice... I'm down. I will. Just find a nice little tree or something and write a scene around it. Yeah, you could have, you could have two characters talking in, in, in the simplest of settings and it'll work. So if you're ever trying to think like, oh, I, w- I wish I could make something. You have a, you have a phone. Likely, you have a phone in your pocket that is capable of recording HD video. You're possibly streaming us on that device right now. (laughs) Uh, Make it. Go make it. Go... Excuse me. I was burping. Um, Go find... Find a, a, a place and come up with ideas around your limitations and what you have. This isn't a huge film. It's... The, the biggest effect in it is the opening where they're pouring the storm, rain. storm, yeah. I mean, and this film could have existed without that framing device. It's just nice that it also has that. Yeah, but literally everything else about it, like, you know, especially this setup right here. Well, not this one, but... <laughs> we go back to it. The, yeah, the previous one, it was a wall and some sand and four people. Yep. This is the most elaborate set. Is this broken down place? And I bet you, you could find a broken down place if you oh, really yeah. looked for it. I, you know, in high school, uh, my my short film projects, abandoned warehouses. Like, that's where we shot. Beautiful. Chris and I shot inside a abandoned, an abandoned water basin for part of our Hufflepuff parody video, <laughs> which we found completely by mistake. Uh, we went to the top of a hill in Malibu Creek Park to to get some good vantage points of the of the woods and there was a, a water basin up there and we noticed a way inside and then we went inside and all of a sudden we looked in and we're like there was all this graffiti on the interior of it that had been just now hold on for clarity you are talking about your uh, much retweeted and reposted music video Hufflepuff Puff Pass. <laughs> I, I am referring to that. On YouTube tell your friends. <laughs> uh, channel search Amontioc. But the <laughs> the we but it was kind of funny cuz we just found it by mistake. We went there to shoot woods scenes and then we went, well this is perfect for a rap video and uh yeah, it was a lovely little set. So if you look around and if you're a little guerrilla filmmaking about how you do things, you know, don't always mention what you're doing. You can get away with a lot. I mean, look at Brandon Rogers on YouTube. He probably doesn't ask anybody for any any permission and he just does it. It's it's better to uh, better to beg forgiveness than ask permission. That's that's kind of the uh, that's the guerrilla filmmaker's code. <laughs> it's a good mantra to get behind. When it comes to filmmaking, everything else has permission. <laughs> See, the, the, these parts actually are kind of nice in that they offer some relief 
from the main narrative. It lets it kind of gives breath between the different versions. Because you don't want to just go into, okay, take one, is the woodcutter story, and then take two, the bandit story, and then take three, her story. Yeah, you get like a little mini like repass, and then you can come back to it. And it's just visually different too. We go from this sunny or this shadowy area to a place that's raining. We have no question about where we are at any time. Except in the forest when we're lost, but like we we don't we don't question what time we're in because the time is very heavily linked to the location. So well, also like the uh, I I feel like when I watch the forest parts, like you can tell it's hot out. Like you feel the heat when they're walking through the forest because you see yeah. the sweat on the people and you see like how thirstily he was drinking the water, and then when you're at the temple, like it feels cold. Mm. Like there's just such a drastic difference in just the feel of what you're seeing. She's marvelous. In yeah, this. she is. Cool. I mean, her range is incredible too. She, in, in, I, I mean like this part, she's being, pathetic and pitiful but in in one of the iterations i think it's the one after this she like she starts cackling at them and just laughing and hits hysterically and maniacally and it's a complete turn from this passive character that she's playing here so what is the point of rashomon beyond reality being called into question <laughs> Or is that the only major point that you can't trust memory? That well, we... I I think that's that's the I'd say that's the major takeaway. But then you really get down to because of that uncertainty, because everyone's going to experience life completely differently. Everyone's going to recall a situation completely differently. We're all just these free entities that are randomly smashing into one another and then affecting the direction of that of the other entity like atoms right colliding through chaos pretty much like we're all just slamming into each other and trying not to fuck anything up or some people are trying to fuck things up some people just want to watch the world burn some people just want to watch the world burn i don't remember how he says it uh, michael kine my, my. <laughs> <laughs> I told you the Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Doing, <laughs> doing the Michael Caine impression. <laughs> so I know. I can do it too. Oh, really? I am Michael Caine. <laughs> <laughs> he just purposely makes it as distorted as he can. But, like that look i i just i just gave uh somebody a copy of the complete works of hp lovecraft for their birthday that was nice of you yeah i don't know i mean seriously it was nice of you uh it, it was uh my boss's kid like i i made this recommendation that he study philosophy and like he's been loving the shit out of philosophy hmm. and i'm like now here's a book that's gonna terrify you with how pointless we all are <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i guess pointless uh, well, it's not it's, pointless. It's stand, but it's not pointless. It's insignificant. And in, yeah, in the grander scheme of everything, 
Like that asteroid we were talking about earlier that's going to just <laughs> barely <laughs> miss just it. Barely, what's it called? Do we have a name for uh, it? It's like 2014, and there's like a series of numbers after that. <laughs> um, the diameter of two Chrysler buildings stacked on top of one another is just going to barely miss us. Even if it didn't, the universe would still spin on. True. It's not that the world spins mad- madly on, it's that the universe is spinning madly The universe on. wouldn't notice. <sighs> That's why I find morality interesting. Because human beings have come up with these codes of ethics and systems of, of what is right and wrong. Well, I was thinking but... about that the other day, and I think like most of what we consider to be right and good just is like, if we do things this way, we piss off less people. <laughs> or, I mean, if we do things a certain way, we sustain our existence. Sure. And if we do things another way, we Whichever don't. one leads to us fighting is the wrong one. <laughs> Unless it's the right people to fight. Who are the ones who started the fight? <laughs> Moral never, relativism never, is the never, point. Never and mind. that's Rashomon, ladies and gentlemen. Never mind <laughs> forgiveness. Um... Yeah, if you've ever stared into the face of someone who doesn't love you anymore, uh, for whatever reason, he, he's being a dick here for, for feeling that way, but if you ever have stared into like the eyes of someone who just now feels nothing for you, it's the most painful thing you could possibly look at. And he's talking he, about the movie, not she me. Does, she does a good job of, in my opinion, of genuinely reacting to someone looking at her. Yeah, no, that's that shit's the worst. <laughs> I mean, I hope you never have to. Uh, Fair, loyal it, listener. It, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting real on Cinephrasal. getting real on Cinephrasal. <laughs> <laughs> this is a story about love. Pities her so much she doesn't even want to... I mean, that's why she's a very sympathetic character in this movie. Because it fucking sucks. It's, well, she's it's the one shit. person in this movie I have sympathy for. Yeah. Not even the corpse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. We do hear his story. Yeah. Because of the medium. Yeah. You buy it, too. Like, yeah. you actually you really buy do. it when you it happens. Bl- yes. Yes. I like the sound design on the voice of the medium. Oh yeah, that it's that like has impressive. a really cool effect on the voice that makes it sound haunting and, and weird. Um, I'm trying to remember. One time for a storyboarding class, I actually did. We had an assignment where we needed to take a movie and try to draw out a sequence and board it in our in our own way to sort of understand what was being done mm-hmm. um, in the cinematography and the staging. And we, uh, I picked a scene from Ashaman. I'm trying to remember which one. It'll probably come up when I, when I see it because I looked at it so many times, but it was, it was very full of triangles. <laughs> so that's all there. That's, if you walk away with any bit of information from this commentary, it's that triangles are the future. Adam is not supporting my views. I'm just, I'm, I'm just thinking, will anybody come away with new information? <laughs> they may not feel that way. They may have a completely different approach all to what they got circle, from this. All you circle people out there, 
You know who you are. You think that circles are going to save you. You think that that's a strong foundation? What, because you got one side? Big deal. In case you're not picking up on it, this is just like his coded conversation <laughs> specifically to Joss Whedon about the <laughs> RT unit on Iron Man's suit. Because Joss Whedon's not a fan of the triangle from Iron Man 2. <laughs> he made that very clear going into the Avengers. <laughs> oh, we're laughing during the scene. I saw a dagger in the in my husband's chest. I mean, I'd be crying. I mean, he was kind of an asshole, though. Yeah, he kind of. He he's an actual it. asshole. He deserved it. Um, honestly, all the male <laughs> characters in this are fucking awful. Yeah, except the woodcutter. That guy was fine. Even, I mean, uh, supposedly you're to assume that the woodcutter might not be telling the truth fully because I think the dagger is missing and he might have taken it because he's not, you know, he's kind of poor. Right, because if, if it was, if the dagger was there, then it would be easy to say like, oh, he was stabbed with a dagger. Otherwise, you know, because in... Uh, Lafune's version of the story, he threw his sword at him. Yes. Yeah. He was impaled with a sword. In her version, he was impaled with a dagger. Like, the murder weapon. So they don't even know how he... Dude's got a hole in him. That's what they know. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and in one version... He has one one more hole than his body was supposed to. (laughs) In one version, he kills himself. That's right. Spoilers. In one version, he kills himself, and in another, he's killed... By, in other ones, he's killed by the bandit. So it's interesting because the bandit freely admits killing him, right? Yeah, because he's just like, yeah, honor. I beat that guy and I stole his woman. I killed him. But we actually don't know if he really did because, yeah, he may just be saying it to boast. (laughs) So you actually can't trust it. Is that steam coming up? Yes, it is. From there? Even just that little bit of steam. And this is also good framing as to why this kind of ruffian character would bother to listen to their story. Yeah, because you got no place else to go. Yeah, he's kind of stuck here. Subtle things. Oh, smoke from the campfire. Oh, I see. It's kind of steam. It's probably heat combining with a lot of cool... Or it's just smoke from a campfire. (laughs) (laughs) But... Point being, and yeah, there's kind of a, a triangular thing here, too, because there are three characters in this location. Um, okay, let's be real. If you ever have three characters, it's a triangle. But the, that's, that's how triangles work. But that's the point, is that there are, like, he paid attention to the idea that there were three characters here as well, to emphasize that. So there's, like, groups of threes. And look at his nose. His nose is a triangle. Wow. Really? <laughs> I, I'd love to take, like, frames of this and just arbitrarily draw triangles where, like, just, like, you can't really argue. It's like, it's it's like when you see those thumbnails for YouTube videos. It's like, such and such trailer, explain. <laughs> and, like, it's got a circle with an arrow pointing to it. Yeah. And yet at no point in that video is what's in that circle ever brought up. <laughs> Ultimate clickbait. 
No, ultimate clickbait is every story that's like, you know, this woman opened her mouth to sing and you won't believe what happened next. That was a great detail. Um, you saw the light from the lightning happen just a moment before you heard the thunder. That's accurate. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. It's like a film could have done like you, your, your impulse would be like, make the sound happen when the light does. But it actually realistically depicted thunder for a Okay, moment. maybe that's your impulse. <laughs> okay. Who plays the medium? Fumiko Honma. Such a cool effect. The way she's, like, stretching her mouth as wide as she can. Makes me think of uh, Kuchisake Onna. Have you ever heard the, the, the urban myth of the slit-mouthed woman? No. It's, it's, a, it's a Japanese urban myth that there's a woman who, at night, she might appear to you as you're traveling. And uh, she has a mask over her face. And she'll take it off and reveal that her mouth is slit from ear to ear. Yeah. She has like really wide mouth. And she'll ask you if she's pretty. And there's several answers. There's several things you can do. Uh, if you say if you say no, she'll kill you. Well, obviously. <laughs> if you say yes, she'll slit your mouth to be like hers and kill you. <laughs> um so actually you're supposed to say she's average <laughs> in which case she'll she'll let you go. Yeah, yeah right. Or or you ask her if you're pretty in which case that confuses her and gives you time to escape. <laughs> or or and this is a very Japanese one you say that you're late for an appointment and she'll excuse herself for interrupting you. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, so don't ever say yes or no. Do one of those other three options. But I love, I love that. You urban... know what? I would love to have this conversation, but I got a dentist appointment in like 20 <laughs> minutes. Your, your, your slip mouth just reminded me I got to get my teeth filled. <laughs> But yeah, like when she had her wide mouth there, it reminded me Did of... Did she just do it? That's what she said? <laughs> <laughs> this is truly ahead of its time. This is the most... Um, oh my god. ...action that that's, that area I, I, I want to get that still frame with the subtitle of That's What She Said and just start <laughs> making that my meme in response <laughs> to people's texts. <laughs> She's instigating it here. I love how he's like, wait, what? So he's he's saying that she told him... She told him to get... I mean, this is just also what it's like... Really? <laughs> She's like Tasmanian deviling there. Um, what it's like in a relationship, all the different perspectives that people have. Also, um, I love that the wind is just on her. 
Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's not affecting them in the background. That's a logistical error, but an artistically correct one. I wouldn't call it a logistical error. Well, no, no, no. I don't mean it isn't it. I mean in the sense that it doesn't quite make sense because obviously wind should be affecting them too. Well, no, 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 no. But the the point is the possession. Oh, I see, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Like the, the, the wind is... That's what I took that as. ...indication of it. No, no, no you're right. <laughs> Thanks. What? What? <laughs> I agreed. Yeah, it took forever. Ah! That laugh. A lot of good laughing in this film. I think that's what we remember Rashomon the most for, is its laughter. The laughter? <laughs> it's the laughter. A lot of people laughing. He laughed. Mifune laughs. She good laughs. Good fun had it's by all. Good fun had by everyone. Uh, no, but it does a good job of kind of also showing those sort of typical gender reactions and feelings about relationships it's like the, it's the male like if, if you're the one who was broken up with by a woman it's like you vilify her you know it's like, she asked us to fight um so he's being you know he's being that way in his description of what happened i think that's just you know anyone breaks up with anybody if you're the one being broken up with you will pretty instinctively vilify that person. Pretty much. I don't know how I've always been mystified by that line of like, yeah, when when someone breaks up with you, you go from that intense love to intense hate in like the space <laughs> of about ten seconds. Yes, you do. <laughs> yeah. I should have said I shouldn't have said that was a, a gendered thing. No. Um I, I just I feel okay. like it's I okay, I got you. I feel like <laughs> I don't know. I feel like male jealousy has a certain um a certain chauvinistic side to it. Male chauvinistic side. Chauvinism um I think is a genderless term, actually. I think show you can say female chauvinism. Or male chauvinism, if I'm not mistaken. Like, it doesn't, it's not exclusive. Where's my Google machine? <laughs> wish, wish. We my... are not sponsored by Google, but we, we are... would like to be. <laughs> we, Google, please send us your Google Crate care package. <laughs> uh, and we will gladly open it and say thank you. Also, give us free VR. I think that's, I think we just, all we're asking for is VR helmets and, um, yeah, we'll be set. Oh yeah. Chauvinism is not gendered. Aha. Excessive or prejudiced loyalty of, or support for one's own cause, group, or gender. So regardless of what gender, you can be a chauvinist. So you can be a, a female chauvinist, a male chauvinist. That's actually definition two. Definition one is exaggerated or aggressive patriotism. <laughs> oh, there you go. So I know a few people that you know meet, meet both those definitions. You can be American chauvinist. You can be an American male chauvinist. So few of those walking around. <laughs> you could be a frog chauvinist. Frog chauvinist. You're very 
I'm sorry, were you being racist against French people? <laughs> no! Never! <laughs> next time on Amelie. And next time we will watch Amelie. <laughs> we were gonna watch Amelie, but for some reason it didn't work on Adam's Blu-ray player. Let's not blame my Blu-ray. So yeah, I'm my Blu -ray gonna player. have to bring my Blu-ray player. I, I, I think it's because it's a region free, but it's from Australia. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, I explained that to you. That's why my Cornetto trilogy is not working. It's from Australia? Yeah, it's from the UK. <laughs> that sword. The dagger. Is that the dagger? It is the dagger. It's the mysterious... Who... Who killed the man? With what item? And where? The where is pretty obvious. Oh my god, I want there to be a Rashomon version of Clue. <laughs> Clue. Uh... We, yeah, <laughs> but, but it's, <laughs> but you don't know what character you are, <laughs> like, in, in, in Clue, you're always questioning your own identity. Oh, no, you should What's know who real? you are, but, like, every attempt is always like, it was me! <laughs> I did it. In the forest. I love these guys just sitting back there watching her, like, yeah, okay, I guess. Triangle. Three and see, the, she's not possessed anymore, so there's barely any wind on her. It's gonna be... Oh yeah, so look at the wood... The... The woodcutter. Because I think he leans in at a point. As, as she slash he is telling the story. Like, he's looking very intently. And it's supposed to be something to make you think... Maybe he's concerned about whether or not the medium knows what happened to the dagger. It's just one of the clues to, to indicate that he might have been the one oh, to... Yeah. Yeah, see, he's as he mentions the dagger, you see the woodsman. Yeah, you see his of, reaction, yeah. And he blinks a little faster. Someone took the dagger. That's all that you get. He's like, oh, all right, cool. <laughs> yeah, so that's like the strongest hint. Um, or it is the strongest hint. Well, you don't have I'd to say, say this like. is a pretty good hint of him just pacing back and forth after that. Questions. This is a pretty good clue, too. <laughs> What are you getting worked up for, friend? Yeah, I, love, I love this guy who's like, you, you hear this? <laughs> like, he totally stole that dagger, didn't he? <laughs> I like to imagine that if you were actually sitting there listening to, the, to this guy tell the story, like, and then she started talking about how somebody took the dagger out of her heart and my buddy over here just started getting really worked up about it for no apparent reason. <laughs> He's <laughs> describing the subtlety. Right, dude. Right. <laughs> Moshirokata. He, he, oh yeah, doesn't he reveal that he was hiding the whole time?
You don't want to hear no more horror stories. Or does he have his own version? See, now we're being drawn in. Mm -hmm. No more silly talk. Close up. We're so close to their faces. Would you ever sit that close to someone while you're listening to them? No. He's like, I'm going to do a visual joke here. Very close to Adam. There's zero point to this aside from making me uncomfortable. But you'll hear his discomfort, and that's the important thing. Oh. Hey. Hello. Roommate's here. We're recording. We're recording a thing. (laughs) Oh, shoot. (laughs) It's all good. This makes it very real. Meanwhile, on Rashomon. Oh, gosh. Do you want to introduce your your, I mean, yeah. My roommate Justin's here. (laughs) Hello, everybody. Welcome. Or in the future. (laughs) Future hello. We're watching uh, Rashomon. You ever awesome. seen? Um, no, I do not. I do not recall. <laughs> <laughs> yes, awesome. Yes, that's the best. That's the best. God. Well, we'll explain. <laughs> we'll explain at another time. <laughs> I was just made. I was. <laughs> no, it's a uh, Kurosawa. You ever seen? Seven Samurai, or... And it's a movie about memory. <laughs> so I've been making jokes about not remembering. Yeah, you know, I'm just, I'm not gonna lie to the audience. I am, like, literally the worst person to be talking about film with, so... He's not lying. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> but that's why he's here. I'm just gonna, you know... I showed him Blade Runner for the first time, uh, last week. <laughs> like, right after we went to go see Ghost in the Shell, and he's like, My entire life has been a lie! Yeah, not really. That was, like, a joke, but, like, in a sense, kind of, I like, guess. Whatever. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know. I was like, oh. So Blade Runner just basically just inspired everything that I know and I love. Pretty much, yeah. What did this film inspire, if anything, do you think? Um, my favorite joke on Board to Death? <laughs> uh, do we, do we want to finally re- recount that joke in, in full here, or...? Well, I mean, it... It was basically just that uh, the Jonathan Ames character had saved um, John Hodgman's character, and then later on, John Hodgman like told it a completely different way. And he's like, "You changed all the facts around. It's like Rashomon." John Hodgman's like, "That's not the one. The Rashomon I remember." <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. Such a so dumb. It's a very specific cinema joke. Uh, I guess the cool thing though about this film is that. In a way, oh yeah, this is the scene that I, I did for the storyboarding assignment. All of this stuff here. Um, I'm pausing my thought, but I just love the reactions between all the characters. And how it kind of a esta- Ah, yeah, that close-up. That's my favorite in the entire movie. There's so much that it's you really can sweaty. tell. It, yeah, they're sweating. <laughs> He sweats profusely throughout this film. That's like the comment I was making earlier, where it's like there's a real sense <sighs> of profile. Like it's friggin' hot in these woods. 
Like you, you feel the vibe of how hot it is in the woods versus how cold it is at the temple when they're like huddled around that campfire. See, this is the moment, like the reason I love this scene is it's the most well composed in terms of the relationships of the characters because she's in the middle and they are standing on complete opposite sides of her and it just kind of perfectly sums up the fight that's going on. And then I think this is the scene where she she starts to lose it and then she starts to kind of start cackling and going crazy. And he's really well, thanks unsure. for recounting the scene that we haven't seen yet. <laughs> Spoilers. I'm so sorry. Um, are you? Are you, though? If, we had this discussion, didn't we? That if you watch a commentary before watching a movie, that's... That's foolish. I think we have this this conversation <laughs> during every commentary so far. Uh, yeah, I love I love this shot too. This is just becoming me say I, I love these shots. Have so we mentioned that sweats. it's a gorgeous movie? <laughs> it's just such good focus on all the glistening. And yeah, he kind of is deciding what he wants to do. He could take it or leave it. Just reminds me of this like super low bud short that I shot in college where like we have a guy who's supposed to be like stress sweating and before we did every take there it is. just doused him in the face with a shot glass full of water. <laughs> just douse action. <laughs> that's that's a good shot, my god. Just the one through his legs. Um, but I think what I was trying to say before, before I interrupted myself, was I can't think of another film that's taken this idea and done it as well. I don't, I don't think there is. I think that they all kind of, they've tried, but I still feel like this one does the best job of, of saying what it says. And that's probably why no one tries to do it anymore, because it was already done well. Yeah. Don't... Ah, here it is. Ah. This woman has had shit happen to her recurrently. <laughs> it's, it's not really recurrently. I think it's the same event <laughs> happening over and over. Um... This is finally her moment to, to just lose it against them. And I guess you could argue that the reason she might not tell this, because we already heard hers, the reason she might not have said this is because culturally... Oh, yeah, this is not okay. This is not okay for a woman to do at that time. So it, you, you know, she might have been acting, crying. She might have been crying as a kind of like defense of like, don't feel, you know, I obviously am a victim here. Don't feel bad or, or don't, don't vilify me. It might have been a kind of defense. So she could have very well been this and in reality. And she's right though, like she's the strongest character of this of this trio. God that laugh. This is a movie about laughter. No, it's not. 
and then kind of like the horror of what of what she's instigated at this point at, at this point she's instigating something because he was going to walk away so I guess we're doing this I guess we gotta fight I don't wanna <laughs> I don't wanna have you done this before? um yes so yeah, in this version, she calls it like it is. <laughs> and then we have the most farce sword fight in cinema history. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously if you were handed a sword if you carried around a sword acting like you were some tough bandit and then you were presented with this defend your honor if you're gonna if, if you're gonna rape me <laughs> then you fucking follow through and kill this guy as well don't don't half-ass this. It's a two-step process. <laughs> and if you are my my husband of worth, then kill this asshole for raping me. It's a one-step process. <laughs> it's a one-step process. I mean, probably should be angry at. I don't know what is the correct reaction. You you know we're. We're going to have to build this commentary as, and we start talking about the movie in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> I mean, because otherwise we just go. What? We, <laughs> we should have had the same commentary, but slightly different for each one. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> See, now you lost your sword, bud. That's not the, that's not the cinepraisal Rashomon commentary I remember. Yeah, it's it's Oh just... my god, what if we release three of these? <laughs> yeah, it'd be terrifying. Oh my god. I do like films Jesus. that are also good 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 vehicles for actors showcasing range. I definitely feel like this is a movie for that. Rushman would make a good play. I would make a great play. Have there been plays of this story? I don't know. We should produce it. We should us two American there's nothing wrong with this whatsoever. Americans should just... I mean... It'd be cool. It may have been done. I mean, it's it was a short story before it was a film. Right. And, uh, it's, it's two short stories, I think, that Kurosawa connected into... Uh, in a Grove. That's... Yeah, the short, short stories that inspired it are... In a Grove by Ryo Nosuke Aku, Aku 
Akutagawa. And... Oh, yeah, they're both by him. Uh, so Rashomon and in a grove. Rashomon. I always say it. <laughs> Rashomon. <It's, laughs> I should... Rashomon. Uh, but it's so hard to just... You always sound weird if you break into too much of an accent. Well, while yeah, you're speaking it's, English. It's like, it's like the people who, when they're making Italian food, just like randomly, they'll be like, and I threw a little bit of mozzarella. Like, what? <laughs> Well, like you were speaking, you were speaking like American English, and then just dropped in mozzarella, <laughs> or bruschetta. Does anybody want to go uh, karaoke? <laughs> karaoke is an interesting word. I actually really like that word for the reason that we say karaoke, but it, it, the pronunciation is karaoke. However, the word is a combination of uh, kara, which is air, which is like empty. So it's, it's empty orchestra, isn't it? Empty orchestra is yeah. what it means. So kata is the same kata that's used in karate. So empty hand. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, the oke is a is a truncation of orchestra, orchestra. So it's it's combining kata and oke. So orchestra is already an improper pronunciation of orchestra, <laughs> of a non-Japanese word. So that's all over the place. If people if people are like karaoke, that's not how you say it. You know what? It's orchestra, not orchestra. So <laughs> like they already mispronounced a word. So it should be kara orca. <laughs> kara orca. Yeah, kara orca <laughs> should have been what it was. Um, okay, orchestra, but we. Yeah, so it's already a word that that has gone back and forth between two languages, and we're I mean, just kind of there, repronouncing there's, it. There's some things that you just have to you just have to take and anglicize, but then there's other things that when you try to say them with an American English accent, they just don't work. <laughs> um, well, I mean, even things like well, I would always work, jokingly things do that. Things that work with British English accents don't work. Like, <laughs> like you ever hear somebody with an American accent just say, just say bangers and mash? <laughs> Bangers and mash. <laughs> I mean, that's why I liked in in early Japanese. I would occasionally just do that for for comedic effect, like rather than toshokan uh, ni ikimashita ne, be like toshokan ni ikimashita ne. Just sounds so weird if you yeah. if you push. I have no uh, idea what you said either time, but it made my brain hurt the second time. I went I went to the library. Um, <laughs> but it, I what I noticed is that it's Japanese is a more constricted language in some ways. Like you do a lot more. English can be more smiley, and it has this more open quality to it. So if you try and say everything with that "have I got yas" kind of accent, it doesn't quite sound graceful on other languages that have these structures and phonetic systems built in place what's going on right now he um he just took all the swords he took everything that's why there's no murder weapon he made off he took all the weapons he he made off like, like a, a bandit, bandit. Oh! Oh! and that's how they get the name i hate myself a little bit for that <laughs> <laughs> that's a good beam foregrounding there if you were paying attention 
There's a lot of foregrounding of things. It's a triangle. <laughs> it went from like an interesting tidbit. It's just an annoyance. We just beat point. it to death. We that that whatever humor it might have had is completely gone by this point. I don't either, dude. I wouldn't want any place to be hell. Except for hell. Out of these three, whose story is believable? <gasps> three stars. Well, no, but aren't there three? There's more than three. There's four. There's four. Well, you can't count, bro. Each needs son. Each needs son. She. It's probably some specific counter for stories. It's counting is such a such a bitch in Japanese because you have to like know how to count like like there's different counting structures for like little animals. He just picked up their <laughs> campfire piece by piece and threw it out in the rain. I mean, yeah. He's not a great guy. He's kind of an asshole. <laughs> Once again, all the men are not great in this movie. What was I saying? Is he robbing a baby? He is. Hmm. Now we're just now we're just watching the movie. This is kind of the most talking. <laughs> this this and her instigating the fight in the last story are I think the longest periods of of uh, characters talking. I think there's the moral of the story. Everyone is selfish and dishonest. But the idea of rising above that Rising above the idea that right. if you're not selfish, you won't survive. Well, what's interesting is what's about to happen, I don't think, was in any of the short stories. I think Kurosawa added. You'll see in a moment. Trench. Oh. Did he take it? He doesn't say it. Yeah, so even here, the can we really trust him? Was the last story the woodcutter's second telling? 
Um, of what happened? Doesn't he say, like, well, actually, I did see the whole thing? Yeah. So the way he explained it before was that he just came across the dead body. And then he says... And then he said, no, I got there, like, as the woman was crying and the man was tied up. So he's already lied. Yeah. So it's kind of like we already don't know if we can trust him. Because the only man in this movie who time. isn't awful is the one that's holding the baby. Well, and that plays into what he's about to do. See? More laughter. Never said laughter was an inherently happy thing. Or maybe I did. But, <laughs> but you can play laughter in so many ways. It can can be a happy thing. It can be a terrifying thing. It can be an evil indication of malice. I like these long crossfades. I mean, that baby's not a dick. Hmm? That baby's not a dick. That we know of. Maybe it's a redeemable character. <laughs> Maybe it's female. <laughs> I said every man in this movie is awful. <laughs> Could be a girl. I didn't say. I didn't say it was. I, I Yeah, I guess it was implying that. Oh, wait, it isn't him that. <laughs> it's like kind of, kind of a humor to that. I'm already taking care of six. It's <laughs> like, whatever. Yeah, six, seven. Eh. Yeah, I thought it was the... I, I forgot it is the woodcutter that, that takes the kid. How many times have you seen this guy? I've seen it quite a few times. And I still can't remember it properly. It's the curse of Rashomon. <laughs> well, no, because it's like watching Groundhog Day. It's like trying to recount that. Like, I don't remember what order things happen in or what, which... All I know is at one point he jumps off a building. At another <laughs> point he punches that dude in the face. At another point he lets the groundhog drive a pickup truck. Yeah. <laughs> You're very good for a quadruped. <laughs> don't, dri don't drive angry. <laughs> is Groundhog Day a perfect movie? It's up there. You... <laughs> I, I mean, it's not raining. I was never there, but I wish as someone told me at some point that I, it might have been New Art or someplace that did a double showing of Groundhog Day and Groundhog Day. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> I think it was... I think it might have been Cougar Town, where they did an episode that was like, 
they all had like a couple of days off from work, so they just decided to Groundhog's Day someone <laughs> and act like it was the same exact yeah, day yeah. over again. That <laughs> <laughs> you could turn that into a verb. Um, I imagine there's probably some uh, some people who might watch this film and think, "Why is it thabarang and sla?" Well, it's. It's not boring, in my opinion. It's slow because it is taking its time to show you something. There's a lot of visual stuff going on. Like, this is a really lovely composition. It's okay to be slow or take your time if you're doing something with that time. And of course. And Kurosawa always is doing something. Every, everything here is purposeful. The pacing is purposeful. Everything you saw was purposeful. And we... We started on this house. Temple. Temple. Sorry. Otera. We started on this this temple and then we end on this temple. Yeah. So that, I think that's it. That was Rashomon. That was Rashomon. Um, so what do we watch next? Rashomon? <laughs> <laughs> no, we should watch Groundhog Day. Um, yeah. It was lovely. It, it's been a while since I did actually go through this one again, and it still holds up. It's still probably my favorite Kurosawa film. I need to go through more of his work. That I'd be down I, for that. I haven't seen in a while. Uh, I've had a Blu-ray of of Kagemusha sitting on my shelf that I still haven't watched. So and Zach and I be... have been talking about for over a year, just like picking directors, and book-clubbing our way through their entire oeuvre. Well, we were going to try and do that, Stephen and I, at one point with with Kurosawa, I think, even. We, we, we watched The Idiot and then went, oh, my God. Because The the Idiot is, like, three and a half hours. It's, it, it's like he made it as long as the original source material probably was. And we... We're so drained by the end of it. Well, it's and like watching the original cut of Fanny and Alexander at five hours. <laughs> Sometimes it is hard. Uh, some of these movies, not all of them are works that still sort of hold up. Sure, but... Even if there's artistry in them. I don't um, know. I think maybe our audience is tired of hearing us ramble. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to this <laughs> appraisal. Thanks for tuning I'm in. I'm a Dax. And uh, yeah, catch us on the next one. Or don't. I mean, it's really up to you. But we'd like it. We'd appreciate it. Oh, wait. I have one last thing. I have these. I have this packet of... This is making for great radio. I have this packet of... Packet of Glico Pocky. We should have been eating Pocky during Rashomon, but whatevs. It's always a good time for Pocky. We're still on. We're, we're not still... sponsored by Pocky, but we'd like to. We'd be. like to be. Glico, if you have, if you can please send us your um, monthly Pocky your box. Your Pocky crate. Your Pocky crate. Uh, we would. We will gladly say that we like it, and um, we will eat it.
You also, Glico, do you also make those those chocolate filled koala bear cookies? Because we would <laughs> we would adore being sent some of those as well. That's probably Meiji. I appreciate anyone who's going to spend is Meiji. Uh, who's <laughs> going to spend a dollar ninety nine on this commentary <laughs> track of us just like shilling <laughs> to sponsors we don't have. <laughs> Are Glico and Meiji, they're different, right? They're not related. I don't know. Well, Meiji is the king of of uh, the Japanese chocolates and treats, at least here. Because, I don't know, we may have a completely different perspective on it, because we think ramune is some popular Japanese drink, and I don't even think ramune is... Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Ramune is the, the sodas that have the... The glass marbles that you... I really have, have you no ever, idea what never, you're talking about. They're glass bottles that have a little top that's a, a glass marble. And you have a little thing and you push the marble into the bottle to open it. And it's it's like a kind of club soda. So we're getting a Ramonet at some point. Thank you for listening to Cinepraisal. Thank you. <laughs> Well, that was one hell of a movie we just watched, right? Oh my god, I loved it when the, the one person did it, the other thing. It had ups, it had downs. It was, there were p- images that moved in sequence. I felt something. I felt like I had, um, you know, I'd been there. And I had lived that life, or lives, with that person or people. Well said. <laughs> and with that, let's do some housekeeping. <laughs> Uh, you just heard us talk for a while about a movie, then you know what it was. We don't have to tell you, uh, but we wanted to plug a few things. Well, I mean, if you want to talk to us directly about movies, you can hit us up on our Facebook page, Cinepraisal, uh, or on Twitter, Cinepraisal, or on Instagram, Cinepraisal. This was an easy name to get across the board, luckily. Yeah, apparently no one thought about this ahead of time. <laughs> so... C-I-N-E-P-P-R-A-I-S-A-L. That's us. <laughs> that doesn't have to stay in. <laughs> Adam's just like has this blank stare on his face. <laughs> you guys have a good night. Um <laughs> <laughs> If you'd like to follow me, uh, I'm at Dak Schaefer, D-A-X-S-C-H-A-F-F-E-R, on Instagram and Twitter and all that junk. Uh, and if you want to follow me, you can visit my website, ofdistantlands.com, uh, or I'm on the social medias as at Dungeons and Daleks. And Adam, you have a book, don't you? I do have a book. When... Where can people buy this book? Uh, it is available wherever fine books are sold online. So basically, Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, you can get it as an ebook. You can get it as a beautiful hardcover. Which uh, this guy over here, who I'm pointing at, but you don't know who I'm pointing at. He's literally the only other person in the room. <laughs> Dax did some gorgeous cover art for it. Oh, thank you, thank you. And uh, underneath the dust jacket, there is secret cover art. Oh my God. Uh, and what's the name of this fine book? The book is called Distant Lands of Sand and the Men Who Died There, which is a much longer title than it seemed when I was typing <laughs> it's it. It's nice, nice and, I was going to say nice and concise. <laughs>
<laughs> it is to the point, though. You know exactly what it's about. Uh, so thank you. And uh, keep, keep watching, watching movies. movies. Cinepraisal is supported in part by Ko-Fi and viewers like you. No, okay, so I can do this. I can do this. How are, how are we phrasing it? Hey, you know, we love doing this. And if you enjoy it and you want to help us out, maybe you can hit us up on Ko-Fi. That's ko-fi.com slash Cinepraisal. Thanks. Thank you.